picks up where the first one left off. Joshua chapter 1, I will read uh, verse 10 through the end of the chapter. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words... Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, for your word we give you thanks and we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit this morning so that we might hear and receive and understand what it is that you would have us know. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week we continue our sermon series through the book of Joshua. We've only just begun. Last week was the first sermon in this series. So you haven't missed much yet and there's plenty of time to catch up. By the way, there are always free CDs of our uh, sermons available in the back of the sanctuary. The morning sermon is available within minutes of the service being over during the Sunday school hour. So if you want to grab one of those and take those home with you, you can. And there are also uh, there in the back uh, uh, older sermons of CDs from uh, older times. So don't hesitate to grab a couple of those. Also, all of the HVPC sermons are available on the HVPC website. Special thanks to Stephen Clark, who makes that little bit of magic happen. I actually use the uh, online archive of sermons myself quite a bit. I'll be in my office working on a sermon, you know, on a Tuesday, and I'll be thinking to myself, now, what did I say last week? And I can go to the website and listen, easy as pie, and... So there it is. So check that out uh, if you're away from service and want to uh, stay up with with the sermon series. So as Christians, we think of our Bible as having two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Jews, however, divide their scripture into three major portions, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. 
And then the prophets are again subdivided into three parts. The former prophets, the latter prophets, and the minor prophets. There's going to be a quiz on this, by the way, uh, before you leave. So guess which of the sections of Jewish scripture the book of Joshua falls into. Extra credit if you know this. Anybody know? Well, it lands in the section called the former prophets. The book of Joshua is part of the former prophets. Now, you might wonder why the book of Joshua, which seems like a historical account, should be included among the prophets. I mean, aren't the prophets those fellows who foretell the future? And isn't looking into the future precisely the opposite of looking into the past? You know, of course, that the Bible is a collection of books and that several different literary genres are represented in those books. For example, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs that were written uh, for divine worship. It's a hymn book. The book of Titus is a letter that Paul writes to Titus, who is a pastor on the Isle of Crete. It's a kind of business letter. The book of Proverbs is a collection of aphorisms or wise sayings. They, you know, they kind of sound like fortune cookies when you read them. And the book of Daniel is itself a composite work. The first part is a collection of scenes from the life of Daniel. You might think of it as a history or as a memoir. And then the second part of that book is a series of apocalyptic visions that Daniel had. Each of these works that I've mentioned represents a different literary genre. And to properly understand those works, we need to be aware of the genre and the rules that govern the genre. You don't write a hymn the same way you write a business letter. And that means you don't read a hymn the same way you read a business letter. You don't write a history the same way you write a proverb. And that means you don't read a history the same way you read a proverb. Each genre has its own rules. Hymns rhyme. Business letters don't. Histories are long and windy. Proverbs are short and pithy. Each genre has its own rules, and we get into trouble in reading Scripture if we're unaware of the rules that govern the several genres that we find in the Bible. Now, I'm saying all of this because I want you to think about the genre of the book of Joshua. If this book seems to be about past historical events... Why does the Jewish tradition include it among the so-called former prophets? That's our big question this morning. And the big takeaway I want you to grab this morning is that the Bible contains a genre that we can call prophetic history. Prophetic history. Now by this term prophetic history, I don't mean the history of prophecy, but rather the history that's written by prophets. By prophetic history, I don't mean a list of dates when certain prophets lived and what prophecies they uttered. What I mean by prophetic history is that uh, what happens when a prophet, looking through eyes that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, looks back over the past and sees it the way that God sees it. 
You might think of prophetic history as a God's eye view of the past. That's what we have in the book of Joshua. That's why the great Jewish scholars include the book of Joshua among the prophets rather than among the writings where most of the history lands. Oh, and by the way, the book of Daniel with its wild apocalyptic visions of beasts and the 70 weeks and all of that stuff, the book of Daniel actually isn't listed among the prophets, according to Jewish scholars. It's rather among the writings, but that's a topic for another day. So what I want us to get used to as we settle in to this book of Joshua is this biblical genre of prophetic history. The past viewed through Holy Spirit illuminated eyes, giving us God's eye view of where we've been. That's the basic idea. Now let me talk about prophets very quickly, and then let me move uh, on more particularly to the text uh, in Joshua this morning. I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but when most people today hear the word prophet, they think about someone who foretells the future, a kind of biblical soothsayer or seer, a guy with a crystal ball. It is true that sometimes prophets see into the future, but that is not primarily what makes them a prophet. All of you remember the story of the woman at the well. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way from Jerusalem to Galilee, and they're in a hurry, so they pass through Samaria, which is a territory that Jews would not normally go through because none of the food there is kosher. Along the way, they stop at Jacob's well. Jesus rests at the well, and the disciples go into town to buy some non-kosher food. And Jesus falls into a conversation with a woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day, the so-called woman at the well. At some point in the conversation with this woman, Jesus says to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you say is quite true. And then the woman, in the understatement of the century, replies, and I love it best in the King James Version, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Bingo! Now notice, Jesus doesn't predict her future. What Jesus did was to see her past properly. What Jesus did was to see this woman's past from a God's eye view. The Samaritan woman, in her conversation with Jesus, had been very dodgy, had been trying to cover up her past and with evasive and elusive answers. But Jesus cuts through it all and he perceives the God's honest truth about the past anyway. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. A prophet is an individual who speaks God's truth to God's people. And he does this through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through fleshly means or human wisdom. Sometimes that truth is about the future, but mostly the prophets that we have recorded for us in Scripture speak about the present or the past. 
Why prophecy got connected so much with predicting future events, I'm not sure. But that is certainly a minority position within Scripture. The medieval Jewish scholar Rashi, the most important commentator on Jewish Scripture, says that there are 48 prophets and seven prophetesses. Is that a word? 48 male prophets and seven female prophets. That's the traditional Jewish understanding of the Jewish Scripture. And of those 55 people we find in Scripture, only a handful were in the business of talking about what was going to happen in the future. So, when we hear the word prophet, let us think of the individual who speaks God's truth to God's people, whether that truth be about the past, the present, or the future. Let us not automatically think of someone who gazes into a crystal ball. And as we work our way through the book of Joshua, let us view this book as prophetic history, as a history written by a prophet, as a God's eye view on the past. I'm reading David Jackman's commentary on the book of Joshua. Here's a little something that he writes about prophets and prophecy. I quote, Biblical prophecy is not history written in advance. Rather, it is the telling of what God has done and will yet do from the divine perspective. The task of the prophet is to declare the mind of God to the people, to foretell God's infallible word into their situation. And this is achieved by learning the theological implications of history. Here is God's interpretation of what happened and why. Now I like that phrase, learning the theological implications of history. And I like that definition of prophetic history. God's interpretation of what happened and why. Please keep those in mind as we work our way through the book of Joshua. I know we've left the book of Romans behind. And after having heard me preach on it for 18 months, you no doubt are relieved to be reading something new. But let me remind you of one thing that Paul said as he was wrapping up his letter to the Romans. He said in Romans 15.4, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, of course. That they were written for our instruction. That they were written for the instruction of Christians. Yes, they were also written for the people who first read them so long ago. But by the power of God's providence, they have been preserved in our scriptures because God continues to instruct us, even now in the 21st century, by those ancient words. Words that God caused to be written down and preserved. The words of the book of Joshua, a book of prophetic history will instruct us. This book will make us wise about the theological implications of history. This book will present us with God's interpretation of what has happened and why. 
But that's not the end of the story. God does not instruct us simply so that we might be wise. He instructs us so that we might have endurance and so that we might be encouraged and so that we might have hope. Let me read again Paul's verse. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. As we understand more fully the what and the why, from God's point of view, of what has transpired in the past with God's people, God gives us endurance. Keep in mind, we have a whole race to run. Being born again is not the end of our story. It's just the beginning of the story. And we need endurance to the run the race until the end. God gives us that endurance as we meditate in the scriptures. And he also gives us encouragement. Because along the way, we can become discouraged. By the troubles of this life. By the opposition of this world. By the rule of the ruler of this world. And we can also become discouraged by our own personal failings. There is plenty of discouraging news. And so as we meditate on God's prophetic history, we are encouraged because we see that God's hand has steadily been at work in the past. And that assures us that it will be steadily at work in our future as well. God does all of this to give us hope. We of all people are the people who have a glorious hope. If we're in Christ, we are part of the largest victory parade in history. If we are in Christ, we are the people whose lives will count for eternity. If we are in Christ, we are the ones who have the creator of the universe superintending, watching over, Every moment of our lives. And that gives us great hope. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Five times in this chapter we hear that refrain. Be strong and courageous. One time we hear it as be very strong and courageous. God is speaking to Joshua, of course, but through this prophetic history of the book of Joshua, God is also speaking to us for our endurance, for our encouragement, for our hope. All of us who are in Christ have been called to inhabit and inherit and occupy some good land that God has promised to us. And as we watch God pave the way for victory for Joshua, we know that God, whose nature does not change, will also pave the way for the victory that he has called us to. He can't do otherwise. And he has given us this prophetic history to give us the endurance and the courage and the hope as we keep pushing forward. One final thought I want to share with you before we close and turn To the Lord's Supper. It's a little throwaway comment that David Jackman makes in his commentary on the book of Joshua. Jackman writes, the God of Joshua is our God. The God of Joshua is our God. Now that may seem obvious 
But maybe it will startle you to think about it afresh. The God of Joshua is our God. When you pray to God, you are praying to the exact same God that Joshua prayed to. The God who brought down the walls of Jericho. The God who stopped the sun in the sky so that a battle could be won. The God who gave the children of Israel possession of the promised land in spite of seemingly insuperable obstacles. When you pray to God this morning, you're praying to the God of Joshua. He's the same God. And He hasn't changed. So let us pray. Almighty God, Father God, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joshua, hear your people this day. Father God, we thank you that you have known us and claimed us and drawn us to yourself, that you have created a covenant between us and you. We thank you that we have been found in Christ Lord God, you have also given us visions, visions of who it is that you want us to be, visions of where it is that you want us to go, visions of what territories you want us to occupy. Lord God, we confess that at times we're discouraged by our rate of progress, that it seems like the goodness that you've promised us is slow in coming. And so we pray this day for encouragement. We pray for the reminder that your timing is always right and that you never leave us nor forsake us. We pray that you would give us a God's eye view of our history. Lord, we've come out of a lot of things. We've been a lot of places. And some of those places have been hard and bitter Some of those places we're not sure about what to make of. And yet in your providential care, you've brought us through those things. We pray this day that we would see those things as you see them. That we would see those things as the path that's brought us to where we are. And it's the path that's preparing us for what you have in our future. Lord God, you have promised that all things work together for our good. Those of us who have been called according to your purposes. We pray this day that we might have confidence, the swagger that comes from knowing that our future is good and grand and glorious. That we are your children. That you are our Father. Lord God, you love us. And we love you in response. And we offer these prayers in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.